0: Today and next week, we're going to look at two passages out of Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. And I'd invite you to turn. If you have Bibles, turn with me there. If not, I think there's a handout. There's probably, I think, the, look at this. Speak, and there the, the words show up. You have so many choices. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 16. Friends, hear the word of the Lord. in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. We're going to see three things in this particular passage. We're going to look at three things that show us how the gospel works or how the gospel operates in our lives. Not simply what the truth of the gospel is, there's there but how it gets applied, how it operates in our lives. We're going to see in this passage that there's a principle, so we're going to look at what that principle is. We're going to look at how that principle gets fleshed out, how it operates in our lives, and then where do we get the power to live it. What the principle is, how it applies, how it operates, where do we get the power? First of all, What is the principle? I want to tell you that the gospel is like a great feast that we need to continue to learn to eat and enjoy. We need to learn to feast on the gospel. After next Sunday, it's been a busy season. You think in the the church for a little bit? We've kind of had a busy season. Evie and I are going to take our last week of vacation, and we're going back to South Carolina, check on her mom and her brother, do all of that, and then we're spending Thanksgiving with My mother, my brother, hopefully seeing Joel a little bit. Let me tell you something about my family. We love to eat. I bet you my brother has already started cooking for the Thanksgiving feast, even though we're, what, three weeks out? We love to feast. There is no question about that. Do you realize our greatest need is to feast on the gospel? Let me set the stage for you what's going on before I lay out exactly what the principle is here that Paul is doing. Here's the cut, because we're not studying the whole book of Galatians. And so here's what's going on in terms of setting the stage. The book of Galatians is Paul's angriest letter out of all his... You know, if you read through his letters, he normally has, Hi, I'm Paul. This is Timothy. We're greeting you kind of nice and friendly, we're thankful for this, all this. Not so in Galatians. Go back, have fun with it. Read Galatians and, and here's what he does. Hi, this is Paul. I'm here to greet you. And then why are you so quickly turning away from the gospel? Whoa! And then he says, as if there were another another gospel. So he's already getting to it. And then he talks about A visit, this is the beginning part of Galatians chapter 2, where he talks about going up to Jerusalem to meet what he calls the pillar apostles. And that would be James, John, and Peter. And he goes about them and he says, here was the problem, here's what's going on. The Galatians were off to a great start. Church was planted, believing the gospel and stuff, and then kind of this pressure group came along. Commentators call them the circumcision party. And here was what they were doing. They basically said, Yes, we want you to believe in Jesus Christ. So far, so good. But then they were adding something to believing in Jesus Christ. In their case, they said you had to add the Mosaic law, including the ceremonial, the cultural regulations that distinguished a Jewish person as Jewish. So they said you had to add things like circumcision in order to be fully acceptable. Now the important thing is not so much what they were adding. Don't get lost in the weeds of that. The important thing here is the fact that they were adding. See, what made Paul so adamant, what made Paul so mad, is the principle of the gospel is is Jesus Christ's work sufficient? Is Christ's work and Christ's work alone all you need to cleanse you, to beautify you, to reconcile you? Is Jesus' work sufficient? Is it enough? Paul's answer is yes. The false teachers were no. And in this first visit, he goes up and he says, I even met with Peter, James, and John, and they agreed with me on this issue. They agreed with me that Christ is enough to cleanse you, to make you fully acceptable. And then you get, and here's where we pick up today, verse 11, a second visit. Peter comes to Antioch, the church at Antioch, which is a predominantly Gentile church. And Paul says that certain men came from James, and that even though... Peter believed with Paul that Peter said his theological belief was that if you believe in Christ, his work is sufficient. You're fully all right. You're fully acceptable. You're fully complete. The text tells us what did Peter do. He separated himself from the Gentiles. He withdrew out of fear of the circumcision group. And therefore, Paul says, I opposed him publicly, I got in his face. And what he does here is he's showing us how the gospel works, how it operates. In other words, a model of the Christian life. And if you look with me at verse 14, here's what it is. Verse 14, he says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. There's the principle, not in step. Teach you a little Greek this morning. The Greek word is orthopodeo. Podeo Podeo is the Greek word for walk. Ortho is straight, to walk straight. Think our English word, orthodontist. I remember when Joel was 13, 14 years old, and what did he need? This is what parents don't want to hear. We don't want to hear this because of finances. Your son needs braces. Boom! How much will that cost? We were blessed. We were fortunate to take Joel to a great orthodontist. Friends with him to this day. His name is Dr. Lowe. He was a great... He was funny. Talk about bedside manner in terms of things. He could sing. He did all sorts of stuff. And he straight... Not for free, but he straightened Joel's teeth. Orthopodeo. Here's what it means. The gospel is a truth. Notice Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And I'm totally indebted to Tim Keller for this. He says, the gospel is truth. It has a set of truths that go along with it. Truths like, we're weak and sinful. We try to control our life through saving ourselves. And that through Jesus Christ, the entire law of God, Dr. Keller puts it, Jesus Christ lived the life we ought to live and died to the death, we ought to have died. So that when you believe in Him, you trust in Him, you are completely accepted. That is the gospel. And the gospel has implications. It has a trajectory. And the principle is that we are to bring every part of our lives, every part, our thinking, our emotions, our affections, our will, and our actions. In other words, sanctification or the Christian life is not just do the right thing. It is trace out the lines of the gospel. The gospel is a truth and it says this, and then I am to walk straight, live consistently with that trajectory, with the truth of the gospel. Friends, that's the principle. How does that flesh out? How does that work? And to do this, Paul gives us a case study. Paul gives us a case study, the case study of how he approached Peter. Verse 14, the rest of verse 14, after he says, You're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel, he says, Peter, you are Jewish, yet you live like a Gentile. In other words, you eat with them, you have fellowship with them, you do, because you're all one family in Christ, of course you do you're spending time with them, all of that is normal. That's the truth of the gospel. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In other words, by drawing back, by separating yourself, you are communicating they're not good enough for you to have fellowship with. See, here's the premise. God did not have fellowship with you on the basis of your race or culture. You are not justified through observing the law. How dare you turn around and now you're only having fellowship because by drawing back, you're saying I'll only have fellowship with you on the basis of race and culture. What he is saying to Peter is, Peter, you've forgotten the gospel. Not theologically, but functionally. At some level, you are not drawing out the implications. You are not applying it. He gives a fascinating argument. If you look at verse 12, he says, Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. See, why didn't Paul just go up to Peter and say, Peter, you blew it! You broke the rule. You blew it here. Instead, he says, Peter's not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. You're forgetting the gospel. He's saying, Peter, what you're doing is a form of self-righteousness, a form of works righteousness. You are continuing to try to add to Jesus Christ. See, we need to see how the gospel works in our life. Let me try to apply this. Let's take an example. And I'll be the one, I guess I'm preaching, I should do this. I'll take an example of something I struggle with. Let's take the example of struggling with the approval of other people. Wanting other people to be happy with you. Wanting other people to like you. First of all, that's not a bad thing in and of itself, right? Not a bad thing. We're not talking about something that's immoral. But let's take that example, what do you do about it? How do we understand what we're doing? How am I to think about what I'm doing? See, if I look at it, only that seeking others' approval, seeking to, no matter what, keep others happy with me is a sin. I'm kind of breaking the rule, breaking the law, and I shouldn't be disobedient. Well, let me just apply the Scriptures to it. I need to pray more. I need to read the Bible more. I need to work harder. I need to be more disciplined. Problem is, that doesn't work very well, does it? Apply. I'm picking on myself, giving you a problem I struggle with, but here's the application, folks. There's application. Find something in your life and ask yourself, does just trying harder work well? How well does just being more disciplined work at transformation, at change? See, instead, here's what you need to do you need to say, why do I struggle with, why do I need people to be happy? Not just want, not in a normal sense, but why do I have to have people be happy with me in the first place? Why in any particular situation, if somebody comes to me and criticizes me, do I get defensive? Why do I say, but I'm doing the best I can? And I may not say that, but what if I'm thinking that? What if my need for approval becomes so much? See, the answer to that is I'm basically looking for something in addition to Jesus to cleanse me and make me acceptable, make me complete, make me beautiful. And anything we add to Jesus Christ as a requirement for a happy life is a functional Savior, is a functional salvation a pseudo-Lord, and it is controlling you. You are a slave, and you're not free. And Jesus said, the truth, and only the truth, will set you free. See, the only way change occurs, and you have to learn to apply the gospel and work the gospel in your life in this way, is that you have to see exactly where you are turning away from Jesus Christ to something else. That's why you do what you do. That's why you get defensive, that's why you lie, that's why you fear, that's why you're anxious, that's why you gossip, That's why, whatever the sin is. If it's a sin, you do it because you're turning away from Christ to something else. Something else is becoming a functional pseudo-Lord in your life. You are desperately hoping that this thing, in my case, approval, others being happy with me me meeting all the expectations me meeting my own expectations we are hoping this will warm your cold self image rather than jesus christ being our living hope that's why that you know i didn't talk to amy ahead of time we should have <laughs> i'm like this is exactly what i'm preaching on this is amazing How the gospel works is you have to identify what is it you are making in your life a living hope in addition to Jesus Christ. We all do it. And we all do it with good things. See, the only place that's going to transform us is if we warm our hearts at the fire of God's love. That's the only thing that will do it. That's why we do the things that we do. That's how the gospel works. So you see the principle, the principle not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. How does that work? Identify and discover what it is that you're using as a pseudo-Lord, where you're turning away from Christ and you're looking to something else. But it's not good enough, is it, just to turn, identify what you're using to turn away? What is repentance? It's not just turning away from sin, it's turning to Jesus Christ. So where do you get the power to live out of this principle? Look with me at verses 15 and 16. Paul says to Peter, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. See, what is Paul talking about here? He is talking about what it means to be a Christian. The essence of Christianity. See, the gospel is about what a Christian is. And to look at that, we need to look at this one key vocabulary word that Paul gives us here in the text. And it's a very important word. It's the word justified. Justified in Christ. The heart of the battle is every single one of us are seeking to be justified. We want to be okay. The sense that we're okay. That we can feel good about ourselves. That we're alright with ourselves and in the world. We want to have that sense that we're right. The choice is, we are either looking to justify ourselves, validate ourselves, prove ourselves, vindicate ourselves, or we're resting in the justification provided us as a gift in Jesus Christ. What exactly is justification? It is a legal declaration. It is a pronouncement of God of two things. That one, you are forgiven. Think about what the Scriptures say. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're non-condemnable. Am I the only one here who struggles with condemning himself all the time? This is where I should have done better. This is what I should have done better. Oh, if I only did this, if I only... I'll drive home and I'll probably drive heavy crazy, kind of going, oh, I should have done more on point one and less on point three. And there, this is the battle, the battle for understanding your justification. If you want to grow in your sanctification, friends, here's what you have to work on. Understanding your justification. Think about this. There is therefore now no condemnation from God, from you, or from anyone else. It doesn't exist. Why? Because Jesus Christ took it all upon himself. There's nothing left to add. If you're adding something, Jesus' work was not enough. If you're adding something, when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he was lying. And can Jesus lie? Again, think about the implications of the gospel. But that's not all there is to justification. Our sins are removed, we're declared non-condemnable, but we're also declared righteous. This is why I quoted Dr. Keller earlier who said, here's the gospel, that Jesus Christ not only died the death we should have died, but he lived the life we should have lived. Do you know how amazing that is? He lived a perfect life, and that record is given to us. And see, we'll talk more about this next week when we talk about the rest of Galatians chapter 2, but there's a doctrine that comes out of that. It's called the doctrine of union with Christ. Because we're united to Christ, everything that belonged to Jesus, everything Jesus earned is credited to us, is given to us. And the implications of this, see, again, learn to trace out. This is part of what it means to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. We have to learn how to think. Not just what to think, but how to think. The implications of the gospel. I'll give just one example. When Jesus was baptized, and all of a sudden the heavens were rent asunder, and a voice came from heaven, and it was God the Father speaking to and about Jesus And what did he say? He said, you are my beloved son. This is who you are. With you, I am well pleased. Now, wouldn't you love to hear those words? You know, it's one thing to hear somebody loves you. It's another thing to hear somebody likes you. But to hear someone say, I'm into you. You are my child. You are my son. With you, I'm proud of you. I delight in you. I am well pleased with you. Now, the Father said that about the Son. Now, what does it mean to be justified? It means you're in the Son. So guess who else the Father says that about? All those who are in the Son. If you are in Jesus Christ, he is looking at you right now, and he is saying about you, you are my beloved son or daughter. You are my child. You can't blow it and not become my child. You can't mess up bad enough to not become my child. You are my child. This is the voice of God. With you, I am well pleased. Do you see what we're saying when we're saying we need something in addition to Jesus to make us happy? Something in addition to Jesus for us to be well pleasing? Something in addition to Jesus? He looks at us, and he says he is well pleased with us. See, where do we get the power? We have to learn to apply this. Richard Lovelace, a great theologian, wrote this. He says, most problems with our sanctification, that means living the Christian life, this renewal that we're seeking. He says, most problems come from a failure to understand this doctrine of justification. If there is not renewal in our midst, it is because we are not understanding the gospel. We are not understanding, we're not applying the doctrine of justification. He writes, there is a deep and indissoluble connection between our appropriation of justification and our experience of sanctification. If we are trying to move people further in sanctification, we should begin with a strong emphasis on justification. Friends, do you see how this works? The principle... The gospel has lines, implications, a trajectory. We have to find those lines, and Christian living is bringing your life in line with the truth of the gospel. How does the principle work? Well, we have to identify where we are trying to justify ourselves, self-justification, self-righteousness, where we're saying there is something besides or in addition to Jesus that you need to complete you. And then where do you get the power to live out this principle? Understand your justification. Hear the Father's voice from heaven saying, you are my beloved child. With you I am well